Our scripture lessons today, for those who'll be listening later, come from 1 Samuel chapter 3, verses 1 through 10, Psalm 139, verses 1 through 5 and 12 through 17, 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 through 20, and John chapter 1, verses 43 through 51. Now, I do have a word of warning for those who will be listening later in particular, this sermon does deal with sexual topics, so if you are listening with kids around, I would recommend you consider listening later. There is a reason this sermon is called the X-Rated Sermon. The other day, I was walking in the Barnes & Noble, and I, something caught my eye. I noticed the entire entryway display on one side was filled with nothing but self-help books. There was the self-care planner, calm your anxiety, something called manifest your dreams, the healing workbook, and my favorite, the self-care Bible. I guess the salespeople at Barnes & Noble figured that this being the start of a new year, people were in a mood for improving their lives, making better choices, or simply trying a little harder. Or for those who are feeling particularly vulnerable, the self-help route isn't one of striving, but of simply taking care of yourself. I know nothing of these books or their authors, so I won't poo-poo them. They may indeed be very helpful to many people. Without knowing it, many Christians treat the Bible like a self-help book of sorts. There is a lot of good advice that even though is roughly 2,000 years old, is still applicable today. But that's not giving scripture its due. We know it is far more than a self-help book. Today's epistle reading gives us a view into what Paul thought was important to address to the church in Corinth, and we get to listen in. Today's pericope is a part of a larger section where he addresses issues that have been reported to him. Our passage today concerns sexual immorality, though biblical scholars are divided over whether Paul was aware of specific sexual sins within the congregation. A self-help author could have a field day with today's topic, but Paul is less concerned with behavioral tips than with the underlying theological understanding of his audience. In this way, he gives guidance that no self-help book could. If there's anything that is true about human nature, it's that we want to be masters of our own destiny. We want what we want. Probably most children have at some point said, you're not the boss of me. I know I've heard it a few times. Submission seems totally foreign to us. Why would we do that? The world says no one can tell you how to live your life. You do you. Rebellion is in our nature. Rebellion from God was at the very heart of Adam and Eve's sin. That's why the sin, the first sin, is a stand-in for all other sins. The core of all sins is rebellion. The problem is that many of the things we want are bad for us, like a child demanding candy in the checkout lane. We may even know that they are bad for us, but we want them anyway. 
And not only are some of them bad for us, but sometimes they're sins against God. They harm us and our relationship with the God who created us. Those who are still in their sins will not be accepted into heaven. Do not be deceived. Neither the immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor sexual perverts, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor robbers will inherit the kingdom of God. Ouch. Who of us has not been greedy once or twice in life? And in this day and age, we are practically encouraged to be revilers in social media towards anyone who thinks differently than we do. And in case you think none of these things apply to you, the category of immoral is a catch-all for all sin. The primary issue that Paul is addressing here is sexual immorality. The Greek word is pornea. I don't think I have to convince anyone that sexual immorality is rampant today, even in the church. We, would all like, like, we could all likely think of pastors who have ruined their ministries because they were caught up in various forms of sexual immorality. Politicians are no different. The recent headlines about Jeffrey Epstein and his sexual perversions have drawn in at least few, a few politicians from both parties. No one is immune to sexual immorality. And a word of warning to parents. Children today are especially susceptible when internet-enabled devices are everywhere, children are often exposed to hardcore pictures and videos before they even know the first thing about the birds and the bees. Sexual sin tends to have very severe consequences. I consider pornea Satan's weapon of mass destruction. Just look at the brokenness in the world resulting from sexual immorality. Marriage is ruined, Families divided, diseases, even fatal ones, spread, reputations destroyed, physical and mental health challenged, and unwanted babies discarded as if they were nothing more than a candy wrapper. Pornography seems to be the mode of sexual immorality of choice because it's cheap, always available, and doesn't require one to even leave the house. And because of these factors can be engaged in with total secrecy. It turns men into self-absorbed monsters who objectify every woman they see and expect them to be able to compete with the airbrushed, plastic surgery-enhanced actresses of the porn industry. That's not what real sex is, but our young men don't know that. A lot of pornography today is also physically abusive. All of it is emotionally and spiritually harming both men and women. Sexual immorality leaves a wake of devastation everywhere it goes. And it's not like God said, don't have sex. Quite the opposite. One of the first things he told Adam and Eve was to be fruitful and multiply. He even said it again in Genesis 9-1 to Noah and his family. In other words... Have lots of sex. That's why he made it pleasurable. But sex and sexual attraction are very strong. So God put good boundaries around it to protect us. 
These boundaries include not having sex before marriage or outside of marriage. While those boundaries pretty much cover everything, it's worth mentioning that they also cover not having sex with people of the same gender, as laid out in passages like Romans 1.27 or 1 Timothy 1.10. God's boundaries also include thoughts, such as when Jesus preached, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. The flip side of that coin is not enticing others by how you dress or act. You shouldn't lust. You shouldn't tempt others to lust as well. But herein lies the problem. As I already said, we are rebellious. We don't want any limitations on our behavior. In fact, rather than admit that some sexual behavior is sinful and harmful, the world simply shrinks down what it defines as wrong in the sexual arena to the most minimal standard, consent. As long as you have the consent of both people, everything's okay. That's what you get when you think humans invented sex. We're in charge of our bodies, so we can do whatever we want with them. We'll worry about the consequences later. The world also tells us that sex is for pleasure. That's it. There's no greater significance to the sexual act. It's a recreational activity for adults. As the 90s hip-hop group Digital Underground sang, do what you like. Or maybe you've heard the phrase, it's just sex. I think most people know instinctively that that isn't true, but they have no arguments to refute it. But at the same time, sex and our sexual attraction is elevated to being at the very core of our existence. The world says you cannot be fulfilled until you are sexually fulfilled, no matter what. If you have an attraction to someone of the same sex, then you aren't fully yourself until you give in to that desire. The world's logic quickly breaks down because sex can't simultaneously be nothing and everything. That just goes to show you what happens when people think they invented sex. But Paul is telling us something entirely different. He writes, you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. This changes everything. We are not in charge of our bodies. In fact, going back one verse, he writes, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. That means we have certain obligations with how we use our bodies. God has authority over our body and how we use them to include in sex. That means it is essential that we know what his standards are and we follow them. We aren't free to just create our own morality around sex any more than we can ignore the laws of physics without consequences. This makes sense, doesn't it? After all, God was the one who invented sex. Who else could have a better understanding of how we should and should not approach sex? 
He wants us to avoid all the brokenness that accompanies sexual sin. And he wants all babies born into loving homes with a mom and a dad. While the world tells us that sex is for pleasure, the truth is far more grand. The sexual union is the strongest symbol of the union between Christ and his church. Yes, I said it, sex should point us to Christ. On top of that, sex is to strengthen the marriage bond and bring babies into the world. That's quite miraculous when you think about it. The love between a husband and wife brings about new life. An eternal soul springs forth from the sexual union. It's no wonder that something that amazing and wonderful can have severe consequences when misused. So when it comes to sex, we have an authority problem. The world tells us we have the authority to do whatever we please sexually. God says, I have given you the wonderful gift of sex to point you to Christ, to strengthen your marriage bond, to bring forth new life, and for your enjoyment. It's powerful, so use it wisely or you will get hurt. When people engage in pornea, they are assuming authority they don't have. We have no right to go against God's intent for sex. I wish I could tell you that I am an example to follow in this area. I have made many bad decisions regarding pornea over my lifetime. Some would make excuses and say, oh, that's just youth. No, it is not. I knew better. Lust is an ever-present challenge that requires me to keep up my guard. Frankly, it's often exhausting. But that's the price I pay for my mistakes in order to avoid repeating them in the future. The words of Paul here could just as easily have been addressed to me personally. But this is where the truly good news comes. Yes, we are rebellious. Yes, God places limits on our sexual behavior. But the really good news is that he not only washes away our sexual sins when we confess, but he empowers us to live free from pornea. Verse 11 states, you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. The washing, sanctifying, and justifying create a complete break with the past. What we were before is no more. That old rebelliousness is dead. We simply need to choose not to resurrect it. And notice the verbs. He doesn't say we washed ourselves or sanctified ourselves or justified ourselves. That's the self-help approach. That's the best modern psychology has to offer, but it's powerless. The self-help approach to spiritual obedience is a dead end full of frustration. Just ask anyone who tried really hard to keep a New Year's resolution. For most of us, 
our self-discipline ends up looking more like rationalization and permission. Not only is a self-help approach powerless, but it lacks a greater meaning. Get healthy to live a long life for you. Earn more money so you can spend it on yourself. There's no real meaning in any of it. It's ultimately paganism. It is only through the power of the Holy Spirit that we can lead holy lives in our sex-saturated world. The grace of God and convicting, correcting power of the Holy Spirit is our only hope. However, I do have one caveat. I want you to know that I'm not down on modern psychology. It has done a lot of good for many, many people, likely some in this room. The first century church didn't understand addiction. Addiction is real, and it has its own set of rules. Stephen Otterburn and Fred Stoker have made careers largely out of helping people stuck in sexual immorality, most famously with books like Every Man's Battle, but only up to the point of addiction. They admit that the godly wisdom they offer is insufficient for dealing with various types of sexual addiction. That requires not only the power of the Holy Spirit, but the very best psychological tools to include the 12 steps, accountability, and built-in consequences. If you know someone who may be struggling with sexual addiction, help is available. Ministries like Heart to Heart Counseling in Colorado Springs work with Christians literally around the world to help them recover from sexual addiction, as well as assisting spouses who often feel betrayed and powerless against addiction's pull. EMDR is a counseling tool that can help dissolve the trauma that often feeds addictive behavior. Now, just as I said, the best tools of psychology are needed to combat addiction, they are rarely sufficient on their own. One needs to draw close to Jesus and rely on his mercy and the empowering of the Holy Spirit in order to get out of the sexual addiction swamp. Next Sunday is Freedom Sunday when we focus our attention on the scourge of modern slavery and those in ministry who work to end it. Many who are caught up in human trafficking are there because of rampant, unchecked sexual addiction. Using enslaved women and children for one's sexual gratification is about as low as a human being can go, and one doesn't get there overnight. Paul may not have understood addiction, but he wisely advised shun immorality, though a more accurate translation is flee immorality. When someone gives in to pornea, it grows and gets stronger, just like with alcohol and drugs. Someone who would never have gone to a prostitute two years ago goes now regularly without a second thought. The empowering we have received to live free from pornea came at the heavy price of our Lord's death on a cross. Let's not take that lightly. 
We mystically participate in his death and resurrection when we receive communion. We lay down our rebellious wills at the altar. And we receive again the grace we need to keep going, following our Lord with every step. Receiving communion weekly reminds us of our own continual struggles and our complete reliance on Christ. It is also a way to acknowledge and thus remind ourselves that we are not in charge. We are living in Christ's authority, not our own. We are also living in his unlimited power, not the self-help power of our own intellect and will. So as we prepare to receive communion, let us do so with the joy and hope that can only come from living free of sexual immorality and under the loving authority of the Father. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.